Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Actually, we're going to be looking in Genesis 16 today, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 16. Um, and I'll be actually reading the whole chapter here in just a minute. Um, Way back in uh, 1785, there was a Scottish poet named Robert Burns, and you may have been forced to read him uh, during your school years. But he wrote a poem, famous poem, that's known as To a Mouse. And it has a famous quote that has been used in so many different literary works over the years. And so uh, you've probably heard this phrase many times, and I know I've used this phrase myself many times, and the phrase is that the best laid plans of the mice and men often go awry. Now, the full stanza and the best translation from the Old Scottish into modern English goes like this. But little mouse, you are not alone in proving foresight may be vain. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Well, Robert Burns was reflecting on the relationship and similarity between mankind and creation. After he had uh, turned up and destroyed, accidentally, um, a mouse's nest while he was uh, plowing in his field during the winter. And so, he was thinking about all the work and effort that that mouse had put into building that house and then all of a sudden in one fell swoop, it is completely destroyed. And so he goes, to, goes on to lament on the fact that no matter how carefully and meticulously someone may make a plan, no matter how much time and effort is put into making a plan, whether you are a mouse or a man, Something's still going to go wrong with the plan. Something is going to go awry. And this bit of wisdom is no truer, truer than when humanity decides to devise plans for their lives that go astray from the plans of God. Or even like when they make plans without consulting God or even having God in, in their mind when they make the plans. They don't even consider what God wants when they make their plans. And so humanity makes their plans without God, whether they're being impatient because they don't like God's timing, whether they are doubtful about God's promises, whether they think that it is their duty to help God along with his plan. Somehow we think we can help God uh, with their plan. You know, we come up with all sorts of plans and crazy schemes without having the wisdom or blessing or leading of God in the plans that we make. And when we make plans that do not include God, have no thought of God, or go against God, you can bet that those plans are going to go wrong. They are going to go awry. But thankfully, what's so great about our God that in spite of how we do our own thing in spite of how we go off the beaten path with our own ideas. How often we might get, you know, then bogged down in the consequences of following our own ideas. God lovingly comes to us. He brings us back to him. 
And if we are willing, he sets us on the straight plan. He sets us back on his plan. He sets us on the straight path in spite of everything we do to make things go awry. And we sure do try, it seems. We find this clearly in uh, Genesis 16. Here we see that God has a plan. God has made that plan, plan known, but humans, they try and help God along. They come up with their own plan and they kind of mess things up for themselves. But then God still comes and he rescues and he fulfills his plan anyway. And I believe that this passage is an important lesson for us since we are on the cusp of a new year and maybe you have already made big plans for 2024. But let me ask you, your plans that you've made for 2024, have you prayed about them? Have you sought God about them? Have you asked God what he thinks about your plans? Have you tried to align your plans with what God's plans are? Or, like we humans have a tendency to do, have you made your plans and then you just kind of expect God to bless your plans? Here, God, here's my plan. I want you to bless it. I don't want to hear your opinion. I don't want to know what you think about it. I just want you to bless my plan because it's my plan and what I want to do. Are you willing to give up your plan for 2024 to take on God's plan for you in 2024? Or have you already settled in your heart what it is that you want? So I want, what I want you to take away from the passage I'm reading today is to wait upon the Lord, trust in his promises, let him fulfill his plan in your life for you and through you, and to do it in his time and in his way, which is something we don't like either. Often we don't like God's timing when it comes to plans, but his is always the best. And so what I want to do is Read Genesis 16, the whole chapter. It's a little bit longer of a passage. And so let's begin reading Genesis 16. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. 
The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahairoi, the well of the one who sees. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that we learn lessons from today. You say that you give your word and, and stories in your word as examples for us to learn from. May we truly learn, Lord, not to make plans apart from you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to just set up some of the uh, context of this passage. So after the fall of mankind, God had sovereignly chosen a lineage through whom he would fulfill his sovereign plans. Well, out of this lineage, he chose one man, Abraham, Abram, uh, in, in our passage. And, but he's old and he has no children. And he calls Abraham and his wife Sarai, better known as Sarah, to go to a land that he would choose. And he says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants, even though you don't have any children. So God tells Abraham, look, I'm going to give you descendants through Sarah. And eventually these descendants would be more numerous than stars, more numerous than the sands on the seashore, and this land will be for them. But he had been in the promised land about 10 years, and still Abraham and Sarah have no children. And so Sarah becomes impatient. She hatches a plan to kind of speed things up for God. Here, God, let me help you out. And Abraham willingly goes with the plan. And so from these actions, from the story, the passage that we read, I want to take four principles and look at these that will hopefully prevent us from making the same mistakes that we find are made in this passage. Hopefully we will not make plans away from God without God being at the forefront of our mind because otherwise we should know they are going to go awry. So what are some of the principles that we learn from this passage? First, the wrong focus leads to wrong choices. Sarah knows that God has given this promise. Sarah knows that God told her husband Abraham, I am going to give you descendants through Sarah. They're going to be numerous. They're going to take over this land. Now, God never gave them a timetable of when this would happen, but he gave his word. He gave his promise, and it is repeated several times. But after 10 years, neither Sarah nor Abraham are getting any younger. They are still childless. God has not yet fulfilled the promise. And so Sarah is spending her days and nights fretting over the fact that she's getting older and she has no children. So we find Sarah focusing in on her circumstances and what is going wrong instead of focusing in on God who he is, what he has already done for them, and what it is that he has promised by 
his word. And so she is so focused on her circumstances that it doesn't matter what God said. It doesn't matter what God has done. She could not get over the fact that she was still childless. And so this led her to worry and panic and focus in on the problem, which then would lead for her to make the decisions that she made. And we have to understand the concern that she had in that day and time. Because what would often happen in the culture of the ancient Near East is that if the wife of the clan leader would not, did not bear children to the clan leader, the clan leader would divorce her and marry another woman to bear children. And Sarah wasn't going to let that happen. Even though she knew the promises God gave to her husband, she says, I'm, I'm worried about what's going on here in my life. I could be in big trouble. So she takes matters into her own hands. So she thinks she can prevent her worst fears from coming true. God's not helping me out. I'm going to do it on my own. And so she comes up with this plan to use her Egyptian servant, Hagar, as a stand-in a very fleshly, carnal, worldly plan. It's not spiritual, it's not from God. And so her focus on her circumstances instead of focusing on God caused her to make the choice for her to do things her own way. I'm gonna do things my own way. And when you decide to do things your own way, it doesn't usually end well. When you decide I'm not waiting on God, I'm not going to see what God's plans are, I, 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 things don't go well, they go awry. And we have a tendency to do that. Oh, my circumstances are so overwhelming. Yeah, but what does God's word say? What does what God's, what has God done in the past for you? Who is God? What are his character? Have, are you focusing on that instead of your circumstances? When you focus in on your circumstances, it will go awry when you decide to act out on that focus. Look, I'm gonna do things my own way. And so we could, we could end up going in a direction completely opposite of what God wants, whatever God desires. And so Sarah, focusing only on the fact that she is childless, says, I'm gonna give my maidservant to my husband and they're going to, they're gonna bring a child. They're gonna, this is how I, we, are gonna fulfill the promises that God has made. And this leads us to the second principle that a popular solution is not a pleasing solution. Just because a solution is popular doesn't mean that it pleases God. You know, instead of the direction in the, in the words that God had given to Sarah and the promises given, Sarah follows what was actually a very popular solution in that culture of that day and age. So in, in a move that we could say is somewhat similar to surrogacy, men would receive a secondary wife who would then bear a child who was adopted by the primary wife, and then the primary wife would raise that child as her very own. But that was the worldly, fleshly solution to things. It was based on worldly wisdom. It was the popular way of doing things. It wasn't necessarily the God-pleasing way of doing things. Just because, and we need to remember this, just because a plan or a solution or an idea is popular in the world doesn't mean that it pleases God. Just because something is acceptable according to cultural or societal norms, 
It, just because something makes, even if we want to say it makes sense in human logic, it doesn't necessarily please God. It doesn't go with God's wisdom or logic. Just because humanity says something is okay, it does not mean God says that it is okay. Something we need to keep in mind is that anything that is done in the flesh is never acceptable to God and it's never pleasing to God. No matter how well-intentioned it might be, no matter what the majority of people on the earth might believe, no matter even if this idea or solution seems to make sense in our own mind, if the plan or solution is not of God, it will not be able to please God. I think about, you know, what it is that we would constantly tell our kids when they wanted to follow the direction of the world rather than the direction of, of God. Or, you know, they'd rather follow the direction of the crowd rather than doing what's right. You know, they, they want to do what the crowd is doing. Everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it too. And, you know, we're trying to teach them that doesn't mean it's right, and they start arguing with you, and so you give them the... You know, everyone uses kind of the, this, a similar comeback to them. Well, you know what? If everybody was jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, plunging to their deaths, would that be okay too? Just because the majority is doing it. Would that make it right? No. We would hope our kids w would get that. But we need to understand just because the world has a solution, just because the world has a plan, just because the world has an idea, just because there is a trend that's going on, doesn't mean that it's godly or that it is right. It doesn't mean that it's pleasing to God. More than likely, when it's coming from the world, it's the complete opposite. But we also need to keep in mind that even if our plan, our solution, our idea in and of itself is not wrong, in and of itself might even be good to a point, that still doesn't mean it is God's plan. There might be ideas or plans or things that, that come up that might be okay by Christian standards, but that doesn't mean that it is God's particular plan for us. You know, just because something seems to work Something seems to be pragmatic doesn't mean that God is blessing it. Because God, even though it might not be wrong, God might desire a different direction for our life. But if we follow our own solution or our own idea or, or whatever, according to our own thoughts or because we are led by our feelings, we are still headed in a direction that goes against God. Because just because an idea or a plan is good, and just because an idea or a plan might be all right, that doesn't mean it's God's perfect plan for us. Even within the church, a solution may be popular, but that doesn't mean that it's pleasing to God. If we want a plan that, or idea or a solution that's pleasing to God, then we need to seek the face of God. But if we persist in pursuing our own ideas and plans, that leads us to the third principle today, and it's kind of wordy, but just go with it. 
Human conspiracies and heavenly consequences snowball from our carnal plans. We have this carnal plan, well, you know what? We're gonna reap what we sow. When we pursue our own plans as opposed to pursuing what God's plans are, things are gonna go awry, like the poem says, and sometimes they go awry pretty bad. Because rarely do things go as we had planned or as we had thought it out in, in our brain. What often happens is that there are unintended consequences from our actions and from our choices. And when we receive these unintended consequences from our plans or our actions or our ideas, then we gotta come up with other ideas to kinda try and offset those consequences, but then those ideas and plans have their own set of consequences and it just goes from there. It is a cycle, a constant cycle. Or like I say, it snowballs from there. I mean, you know, it's truly a snowball effect. It, it, You've seen it on TV, and if you have ever been in a place where there's lots of snow, I mean, I, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I, I've done this many times myself. All you do is take this little tiny snowball and put it on the ground with the rest of the snow, and you start rolling it down a hill. It gets bigger and bigger as it goes down. It snowballs, and we say, that a matter snowballs when it starts to go on its own, it builds up speed, it's continuously growing as it goes down until all of a sudden it gets completely out of hand. Well, the carnal plans that we make, the worldly plans that we make, we conspire against God, we could say, they have consequences and those consequences will grow and they will get out of hand. You know, there's a saying about sin that sin will take you further than you wanna go, it will keep you longer than you wanna stay, and it will cost you more than you wanna pay. Well, the same is true for the plans that we deceive all, you know, or we conceive or devise all on our own, in our own brain. We see this happening in our passage where all these human conspiracies lead to all sorts of different grave consequences. So when the maidservant Hagar found out that she was pregnant, she treated Sarah with contempt. She, who was a lowly servant, was now carrying the child of the clan leader. The, it doesn't say it in here, but the Bible might be alluding to the fact that Hagar was thinking, hmm, I'm carrying the clan leader's child. I bet I can take Sarah's place. I can become the primary wife because with that position came a lot of power and authority. And so she, was, she started treating Sarah with contempt. <laughs> I'm carrying Abram's child and you're not. Well, Sarah then makes another conspiracy with Abram, Abraham and she harshly treats Hagar, causing her to flee. Now, Hagar does eventually return, but the consequences still kind of roll from there. In chapter 21, Sarah chases both of them off, and Ishmael was not going to be friendly toward the offspring of Sarah. In fact, in, in our own passage in verse 12, it says that 
where it's indicating that Ishmael was going to be stubborn, independent, and violent. And it is traditionally believed that the offspring of Ishmael would later become what we call Arabs. And as a consequence, the descendants of Sarah, the descendants of Isaac, the Jews, would be constantly in conflict with the descendants of Hagar, the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs. And even to this day, with all the, everything that's going on in the world, we have seen this play out in recent events. All of this comes as a consequence because of the carnal plans and conspiracies that humans made. Sarah made a plan, and it turned around to bite her. Sarah made a plan, and it had severe consequences for her and for those who would be her descendants. Instead of following God's plan, instead of allowing God's plan to unfold in his timing, she made her own plan and there were consequences because of it. But not everything in today is negative. Because finally, the fourth principle that we see is that God's matchless mercy and his perfect plan are never frustrated. Even when we make those mistakes, God is merciful toward us. He doesn't leave us necessarily to our own decisions. That doesn't mean that he's not going to allow us to suffer the consequences of our own decisions and of the plans that we make all on our own. But here's the wonderful thing. In spite of the plans that we make on our own, in spite of the, you know, the ideas that we come up with or trying to find the solution to the problem all on our own, God can still use us. Even in the midst of a mess that we make of ourselves, God still sees us, he hears us, he doesn't abandon us. And his plan will move forward. We see that in, in our passage Hagar, you know, Hagar wasn't just an innocent bystander. She, she was part of the plan as well. But God sees her and sends his angel to, give, to tell her what, what the future held for her child and to coax her back to, back to Sarah and, and back to Abraham. He still wanted her to be part of the plan. And God still calls us to be part of his plan. It's good to know that God will still even continue his plan in spite of what we do. You know, we, we may delay God's plan for our lives. We might alter some of the detail of God's plan for our lives, but we can't frustrate God's plans. So we find in the passage, you know, Hagar and Ishmael are taken care of. And even though Ishmael and his descendants would be a thorn in the side of, of Isaac and, and all of his descendants, God's plan for Sarah, Sarah and Abraham, they, they aren't frustrated either because it still took another 14 years, 14 years after this, for Sarah to finally become pregnant and bear a child, Abraham being 100 years old and Sarah being 90 years old and the chosen son and heir through whom all the promises of God were called were fulfilled 
in that child. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son, and 25 years later, Abraham and Sarah had a son, the promised one through whom the rest of the lineage would flow. By God's mercies, his perfect plans still continue. And by his mercies, he still chooses to use us, even in spite of all the plans we make on our own and all the bad decisions that we make. I don't know about you, but I think it's so good to know that God can still use us no matter how bad we may mess things up for ourselves. Our God is a God of second chances and third chances and one millionth chances as well. And he can give us a redo. He did it with Sarah and Abraham, and even we could say Hagar as well. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Thankfully, the perfect plan of God never does. And so I conclude with this story. There was a pastor who talked about a time when he was 13 and his parents, they, they both worked and he wanted to do something nice for his parents. He wanted to be helpful, so he decided he was going to make some supper for them. He got the meat going in the oven okay, but he wanted to make some potatoes and he didn't want to do just any potatoes. He wanted to make French fries and so they had one of those fryers that was filled three quarters up with oil and had the basket in, you know, to to put it in, but you know, he's 13 years old. He doesn't know when the oil is hot enough. And so he looks in some cookbooks to try and figure out, well, how do you know when the oil is, is hot enough? And he found one of the cookbooks suggested, you take a spoon, just get it wet with some water and, and you know, put it one little, you know, put some water in the hot oil to see if it sizzles and if it's hot enough. And you know, the book meant you put one drop of water to make it sizzle. Well. He got the biggest old cup that he could find, filled it with water, poured the whole thing in there, and as you can imagine, that thing blew up. He came out unscathed. But the kitchen, not so much. He quickly found out that oil and water do not mix. And so, his parents come home. Instead of finding, you know, the dinner that he had wanted, they found their kitchen almost blowed up, you know, so to speak. And so the parents asked him the classic question the parent asks, what, were, what in the world were you thinking? And the, and the pastor, the son, when he was 13, he gives the classic child answer. I don't know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. How many times do we come up with a plan on our own? We don't consult God. We don't consider God's plan. You know, God has a plan. He wants to fulfill through us for his own glory. But, you know, we decide, I I, I got my own plan. And then it goes awry. And it's as if God asks us, what were you thinking? And the only thing we can answer is, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Not so much, was it? So as we come into this new year, we have to be patient for God's timing and rely on his promises that he has given, and we wait on him and his plan. 
We focus on him, not our dreams, not our desires, not our problems, not our circumstances, not us at all. We focus in on him. We focus in on wanting to please him. We want to focus in on, you know what, God, I'm going to let your plan unfold. I might not like the timing. I might not necessarily like the details, but I still know that God's plan is a whole lot better than any plan that I can come up with. And, and so, instead of telling God what your plan is for 2024, how about you ask God what his plan is for 2024? And so why don't you come to the altar today and ask that? Or maybe you've already kind of gotten in God's way doing your own solution and your own plan and it's kind of snowballed from there. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and, and finally say, you know what, I, I surrender my plan to you. And Lord, by your mercy, get me out of the mess that I made for myself. And what a loving God, he will do that. And then just give it to him, say, Lord, you fulfill your plan for me and through me. Let me get out of the way because anything that I can come up with is going to go awry. But there may be some here today who have their own plans on what it takes to go to heaven. I think if I go to church pretty regularly, I'm gonna go to heaven. I think that if I follow the golden rule, I'm going to go to heaven. I think if I'm a good person, I'm gonna to go to heaven. I think that if, if I'm a generous person, I'm gonna to go to heaven. If I think that if I'm nice, I'm gonna to go to heaven. I think as long as I don't kill anybody, I'm gonna to go to heaven. Those are human plans that are gonna go awry. When it comes to heaven, there is only one way God himself provided the one path that is to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ alone. And the call of God's word is that he provided his gift of salvation to you by grace and then you by faith receive his plan who is Jesus Christ because if you don't and you die and you stand before Jesus the judge he's going to ask you what were you thinking and you may say well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. But then all he's going to say to you is then, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Don't let that be you. Don't go with your plans on how to get to heaven. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. 
Thanks for listening, and God bless.